0: From the first book, Canto nine of the Fairy Queen, I'll read an excerpt. His garment naught but many ragged clouts with thorns together pinned and patched was. The witch's naked sides he wrapped abouts and him beside there lay upon the grass, a dreary course. Whose life away did pass, all wallowed in his own yet lukewarm blood, that from his wound yet welled fresh, alas, in which a rusty knife fast fixed stood, and made an open passage for the gushing flood. Which piteous spectacle, approving true, the woeful tale that Trevisan had told, when as a gentle red cross knight did view, With fiery zeal he burnt in courage bold, him to avenge before his blood were cold, and to the villain said Thou damned white the author of this fact we here behold what justice can but judge against thee right with thine own blood to price his blood here shed in sight and this uh Bad character is despair. What frantic fit, quoth he, hath thus distraught the foolish man so rash a doom to give? What justice ever other judgment taught, but he should die who merits not to live? None else to death this man despairing drive, but his own guilty mind deserving death. Is then unjust to each his due to give, or let him die that loatheth living breath, or let him die at ease that liveth here beneath. Who travails by the weary wandering way to come unto his wished home in haste, and meets a flood that doth his passage stay, is not great grace to help him over past free his feet, that in the mire stick he fast. Most envious man that grieves at neighbor's good, and fond that joist in the woe thou hast, why wilt not let him pass that long hast stood upon the bank, yet wilt thyself not pass the flood? He there does now enjoy eternal rest and happy ease, which thou doest want and crave and further from a daily wanderest. What if some little pain the passage have that makes frail flesh to fear the bitter wave? Is not short pain well-born that brings long ease and lays the soul to sleep in quiet grave? Sleep after toil, port after stormy seas, ease after war, death after life does greatly please. The knight much wondered at his sudden wit and said, The term of life is limited. Nay, may a man prolong, nor shorten it. The soldier may not move from watchful stead, nor leave his stand until his captain bed. Who life did limit by almighty doom, quoth he, knows best the terms established. And he that points a sentinel, his room, doth license him to part, at sound of morning drum Is not his deed what everything is done in heaven and earth? Did not he all create to die again? All needs that was begun. Their times in his eternal book of fate are written sure and have their certain date. Who then can strive with strong necessity that holds the world in his still challenging state or shun the death ordained by destiny. When hour of death is come, let none ask whence, nor why. The longer life I wove, the greater sin, the greater sin, the greater punishment. All those great battles which thou boast to win, through strife and bloodshed and avengement. Now praised, hereafter, dear, thou shalt repent. For life must life, and blood must blood repay. Is not enough thy evil life forspent? For he that once hath missed the right way, the further he doth go, the further he doth stray. Then do no further go, nor further stray, but here lie down, and to thy rest betake. The will to prevent that life ensue and May. For what hath life? that may it loved make. It gives not rather cause it to forsake. Fear, sickness, age, loss, labor, sorrow, strife, pain, hunger, cold, that makes the heart to quake, and ever fickle fortune, rages rife, all which and thousands more do make a loathsome life. Thou, wretched man of death, hast greatest need, if in true balance thou wilt weigh thy state. For never knight that dared warlike deed, more luckless disadventures did mate Witness the dungeon deep wherein of late thy life shut up, for death so oft did call. And though good luck prolonged hath thy date, yet death then with the like mishaps forestall into the which hereafter thou mayst happen fall. Why then doest thou, O man of sin, desire to draw thy days forth to their last degree? Is not the measure of thy sinful hire high heaped up with huge iniquity, against the day of wrath to burden thee? Is not enough that to this lady mild thou false, hast thy faith with perjury, and sold thyself to serve duessa to viled? with whom in all abuse thou hast thyself defiled. Is not he just that all this doth behold from highest heaven and bears an equal eye? Shall he thy sins up in his knowledge fold and guilty be of thine impiety? Is not his law let every sinner die? Die shall all flush. What then must needs be done? Is it not better to do willingly than linger? Till the glass be all outrun? Death is the end of woes, die soon, O fairy's son. The knight was much unmoved with his speech, that as a sword's point through his heart did pierce, and in his conscience made a secret breach, well knowing true all that he did rehearse, and to his fresh remembrance did reverse the ugly view of his deformed crimes, that all his manly powers it did disperse, as he were charmed with enchanted rhymes that oftentimes he quaked and fainted oftentimes. In which amazement, when the miscreant perceived him to waver weak and frail, whilst trembling horror did his conscience daunt, and hellish anguish did his soul assail, to drive him to despair and quite to quail, he showed him painted in a table plain the damned ghosts that do in torment's wail and thousand fiends that do them endless pain with fire and brimstone which forever shall remain. The sight whereof so thoroughly him dismayed that naught but death before his eyes he saw an ever-burning wrath before him laid by righteous sentence of the Almighty's law. And began the villain him to overcraw, and brought unto him swords, ropes, poison, fire, and all that might him to perdition draw, and bade him choose what death he would desire, for death was due to him that had provoked God's ire. But when as none of them he saw him take, he to him wrought a dagger sharp and keen and gave it him in hand. His hand did quake and tremble like a leaf of aspen green and troubled blood through his pale face was seen to come and go with tidings from the heart. As it a running messenger had been at last resolved to work his final smart. he lifted up his hand that back again did start. Which when as Una saw through every vein the curdled cold ran to her well of life, as in a swoon, but soon relived again. Out of his hand she snatched the cursed knife and threw it to the ground, enraged rife, and to him said, fie, fie, faint-hearted knight, what meanest thou by this reproachful strife? Is, not, is this the battle which thou vaunts to fight with that fire-mouthed dragon, horrible and bright? Come, come away, frail, feeble, fleshly white. Nay, let vain words bewitch thy manly heart. Nay, devilish thoughts dismay thy constant sprite. In heavenly mercies hast thou not a part, why shouldst thou then despair, the chosen art? Where justice grows, there grows eke greater grace, the which doth quench the brand of hellish smart, and that accursed handwriting doth deface. Arise, sir knight, arise and leave this cursed place. So up he rose and thence amounted straight which when the carl beheld and saw his guest was safe to part for all his subtle slight, he chose an halter from among the rest and with it hung himself, unbid, unblessed. But death he could not work himself thereby for a thousand times he so himself had dressed. Yet, less it could not do him die till he should die his last, that is, eternally. Okay. O to Psyche by Keats O Goddess, hear these tuneless numbers, rung by sweet enforcement and remembrance dear, and pardon that thy secret should be sung even into thine own soft conched ear. Surely I dreamt today, or did I see the winged Psyche with awakened eyes I wandered in a forest thoughtlessly, and on the sudden, fainting with surprise, saw two fair creatures couched side by side in deepest grass beneath the whispering roof of leaves and trembled blossoms, where there ran a brooklet scarce espied. Mid hushed, cool-rooted flowers, fragrant-eyed, blue, silver-white, and budded tyrian, They lay calm breathing on the bedded grass, Their arms embraced, and their pinions too, Their lips touched not, But had not bade adieu, As if disjoined by soft-handed slumber, And ready still past kisses to outnumber, At tender eye dawn of Aurorian love, The winged boy I knew, But who was thou, O happy, happy dove? His psyche true. O latest born and loveliest vision, far of all Olympus' faded hierarchy, fairer than Phoebe's sapphire region star, or vesper amorous glowworm of the sky, fairer than these, though temple thou hast none, nor altar heaped with flowers, nor virgin choir to make delicious moan upon the midnight hours. No voice, no lute, no pipe, no incense sweet, from chains swung, censor teeming. No shrine, no grove, no oracle, no heat, a pale-mouthed prophet dreaming. O oh, brightest, though too late for antique vows, too, too late for the fond, believing, liar, when holy were the haunted forest bows, holy the air, the water, and the fire. Yet even in these days so far retired from happy pieties, thy lucent fans fluttering among the faint Olympians. I see and sing by my own eyes inspired. So let me be thy choir and make a moan upon the midnight hours. Thy voice, thy lute, thy pipe, thy incense sweet, from swing to censor teeming, thy shrine, thy grove, thy oracle, thy heat, a pale mouthed prophet dreaming. Yes, I will be thy priest and build a fane, in some untrodden region of my mind, where branched thoughts, new grown with pleasant pain, instead of pines, shall murmur in the wind. Far, far around, shall those dark clustered trees fledge the wild ridged mountains steep by steep, and there by zephyrs, streams and birds and bees the moss slain dryads shall be lulled to sleep. And in the midst of this wide quietness, a rosy sanctuary will I dress with the wreathed trellis of a working brain, with buds and bells and stars without a name, with all the gardener fancy ere can feign, with breeding who breeding flowers will never breed the same. And there shall be for thee all soft delight that shadowy thought can win, a bright torch and a casement open night to let the warm love in. It's April, 1819. And here is "Liberty of Vision" by Keats. Well, his sort of mentor, Robbie Burns. As I stood by you, roofless, as I stood by yon roofless tower, where the wallflower scents the dewy air, where the howlet mourns in her ivy bower, and tells the midnight moon her care. The winds were laid, the air was still, the stars they shot along the sky, the fox was howling on the hill and the distant echoing glens reply. The streams adown down the hazly path was rushing by the ruined walls to join yon river on the strath, ways distant roaring swells and falls. The cold blue north was streaming forth her lights with hissing eerie din. Athwart the lift, they start and shift like fortune's favours, tint as wind. By heedless chance, I turned mine eyes, and by the moonbeam, shook to see a stern and stalwart gazed arise, attired as minstrels want to be. Had I statue been a stain. His daring look had daunted me, and on his bonnet graved was plain the sacred posy, Liberty. And fray his harp such strange did flow, might rouse the slumbering dead to hear. But oh, it was a tale of woe as ever met a Briton's ear. He sang with joy his former day, he weeping wailed his later times, but what he said it was, nay, play. I win a venture it in my rhymes. No Spartan tub, no Spartan tube, no attic shell, no lyre Aeolian I awake. Tis liberty's bold note I swell, thy heart Columbia let me take. See gathering thousands while I sing, a broken chain exulting bring, and dash it in a tyrant's face and dare him to his very beard and tell him he no more is feared, no more the despot of Columbia's race. A tyrant's proudest insults braved, they shout a people freed, they hail an empire saved. Where is man's godlike form? Where is that brow erect and bold, that eye that can unmoved behold, the wildest rage, the loudest storm, that e'er created fury dared to raise? Avant thou cative, servile base, that tremblest at a despot's nod, yet crouching under the iron rod, canst land the hand that struck the insulting blow. Art thou of man's imperial line, dost boast that countenance divine? Each skulking feature answers no, but come ye sons of liberty, Columbia's offspring, brave as free, in danger's hour still flaming in the van. Ye know and dare maintain the royalty of man. Alfred on the starry throne, surrounded by the tuneful choir, the bards at erst have struck the patriot lyre and roused the free-born Britons, soul of fire. No more thy England own, dare injured nations form the great design to make detested tyrants bleed. Thy England execrates the glorious deed. Beneath her hostile banners waving, every pang of honor having, England and thunder calls. The tyrant's cause is mine. That hour accursed, how did the fiends rejoice and hell through all her confines, raise the exulting voice. That hour which saw the generous English name linked with such damned deeds of everlasting shame. Thee, Caledonia, thy wild heaths among, thee famed for martial deed and heaven taught song, to thee I turn with swimming eyes. Where is that soul of freedom fled, inmingled with the mighty dead? Beneath the hallowed turf where Wallace lies. Hear it not, Wallace, in thy bed of death, ye babbling winds in silence sweep. Disturb not ye the hero's sleep, nor give the coward secret breath. Is this the ancient Caledonian form, firm as the rock, resistless as the storm? The eye which shot immortal hate, crushing the despot's proudest bearing. The arm which nerved with thundering fate braved usurpation's boldest daring, dark quenched as yonder sinking star. No more that glance lightens afar, that palsied arm no more whirls on the waste of war. And finally, to Miss Logan with Beattie's poems for a new year's gift. Again, the silent wheels of time their annual round have driven, and you, though scarce in maiden prime, are so much nearer heaven. No gifts have I from Indian coasts the infant year to hail. I send you more than India boasts in Edwin's simple tale. Our sex with guile and faithless love is charged, perhaps too true, but may, dear maid, each lover prove an Edwin still to you. Thank you.